Turn in your Old Testaments to Exodus 20, verse 13. Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as needy sinners. Would you, through Jesus, forgive the murder? Would you give life and renew life? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Watching the reports of the Waldo Canyon fire out in our old city where we lived for seven years before moving here, Colorado Springs, it's been really amazing to see how that fire just jumped over the, the west side of town and came into, into the city. I, I just didn't think in the modern era a city would ever have a fire like that. And so you can just imagine, uh, glued to those reports, as we see all these landmarks uh, being burned up, uh, you can imagine how we've been burning up the telephone, calling and checking on friends, and um, to this moment, there has not been anybody that, that I'm aware of in our old church, Village 7 Presbyterian Church, that has lost their home. Several friends that we know in town have lost their homes. I know Billy was just telling me his dad had to evacuate, but didn't lose his home. It's been an, an amazing thing to see, and, and, and watching that really reminded me of the last time that I was just glued to the unfolding tragic events that were coming out of Colorado, and, and I dare say um, many of you, at least of you who are of age, were absolutely glued to that television during this time as well. The, I'll never forget the scene of just children... Um, Young adults, high school-age people running as fast as they could out of their school and SWAT teams moving in to Columbine High School. And the world watched as two young men, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, randomly murdered 12 students and faculty and wounded 23 other people that day in Columbine High School, just outside of Denver, in the west part of Denver. And then they turned the guns on themselves, and they took their own lives. That was Tuesday, April twentieth, 1999. Do you remember those pictures if you were old enough? Do you remember that? And, and what was the effect, the aftermath, of just seeing the multiplied murder of children and adults? I tell you, the Sixth Commandment came front and center before our nation that day. You shall not murder. Of course, there are many here in this sanctuary who remember the killing spree that happened at Pearl High School, just south of of town here in Jackson, October the 1st, 1997, two years before Columbine. Luke Woodham stabbed his mother to death then drove to school and and killed two students and shot seven others just south of here. Later investigation of both killing sprees, because there was a thorough investigation to discover motives, etc., revealed that the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, had been systematically and continuously broken for years in a very determined fashion, and not just that day, 
of each of those killing sprees. You know, you, you read the Sixth Commandment, and it's the, kind of the one, I suppose, that we feel the best about because we read the Sixth Commandment and we say, maybe in our hearts, hey, look, I know I've had other gods before God. I, I know I probably shaded the truth, not told the truth, and have stolen and, and had some issues with sensuality, etc., but I have never killed anybody. So we kind of feel, you know, a little bit better about the six. I've never murdered anyone. But you know what the fact is? The fact is, the Sixth Commandment teaches us that we are all murderers who need Jesus. Let me say that again. We are all murderers who need Jesus. This is about murder. And we are all murderers. The Sixth Commandment, even though the King James Version uses the English word killing. That is actually the wrong word. Um, the, the, it is not about killing, generally. The Sixth Commandment is about murder. There are six words in the Hebrew language that refer to killing. And, and I will tell you, this is not the one that's commonly used of killing animals. Or plants. This is different from the word associated with the accidental killing of human beings. It, it's a really interesting part in the Old Testament where, you know, sometimes people were accidentally killed. You'd, you'd kind of build a, something up if you're on your roof, repairing your roof so that something wouldn't fall down and kill somebody accidentally. Or one of the Old Testament examples is an axe, an axe head that flies off of your axe while you're chopping wood and and, and accidentally kill someone. And you know what God did in the Old Testament? He even provided cities of refuge where you could go and get away from family members that might want to come and try to kill you for that. This isn't the word for accidental taking of human life. And this is not even the word used for the killing in the Old Testament that happened as a result of warfare. Nor is it the word used for capital punishment. And we find in the Old Testament, and we see yet again in Romans 13, that the sword is taken away from individuals for vengeance. Do not murder. You don't just go murder someone. If there's going to be any war, if there's going to be any justice in the line of capital punishment, the sword we learn in Romans 13 is given to the governing authority and not just to our own passions. And Romans 13 says that the sword of the magistrate is not utilized in vain. No, the Sixth Commandment is about murder. And what is murder? Murder is simply the, it personally taking the initiative to take the life of another human being. It means you want to kill them. You take the initiative to take a human life. And that is what is referred to by this word when God says you shall not murder. Now murder is different from exterminating a rat or a roach. When you call Orkin, you're not murdering. It's different from catching a fish. It's different from killing a deer. It's different from harvesting oats and thereby killing the oat plant so that you can have bread. 
Murder is different because people are different from oats and deer and rats and roaches. We alone are made in the very image of God, the imago dei, that when God on the sixth day came to the crowning moment of the creation, we read these words, let us make man in our image. And in the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And this is why there is a kind of glory that human beings have, even with the fall, still fearfully and wonderfully made, reflecting the creative purposes of God and the genius of God and many attributes of God Himself. Glorious people are. All of life is given by God with great power, with, with artistry, and just pure divine genius. I want you to think about when you look at the world, when you look at the systems that are just right on time, when you look at the complex nature of creation and the astounding beauty of creation as creation continues to roll from year to year and how creation continues and there are new people born and animals born, you can see the artistry where God says, let there be light and it was and it was good and, and let there be um, animals that crawl uh, uh, across the landscape and let there be birds that fly in the sky and let there be fishes and sea creatures that teem in the waters of the deep and let there be men in my image. And God actually gave dominion over creation to us because we're different. We represent Him. And God, we read in Genesis 2, gave us that dimension to till the soil, to, to make something of this creation, to make it work for us, and to glorify God, and to hold in respect the creation as God Himself celebrates the beauty and the wonder of life. God is a God who is into life and the joy of giving life. Isn't that beautiful? You can't find a more joyful being in, in, in the cosmos than God Himself, the author and giver of life. But human life, made in His very image, is most precious to Him. There's a really famous C.S. Lewis quote from his essay, The Weight of Glory, which gets quoted a lot, it talks about how gloriously made human beings are. C.S. Lewis says, It's a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person that you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, him or her now, you would be strongly tempted to worship him or her. Or else, a horror and a corruption such as you now only meet, if at all, in a nightmare. All day long, he says, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations where people made in His image glorious become that much more reflective of God's glory in heaven and the new heavens and new earth or live in hell with the damned. 
goes on to say, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. That's why we do mercy ministry. That homeless person that doesn't smell good, that you wonder what they're really about and all that. Why do you do it? Do we love them? That's one of the reasons we do it. But the reason we do it is they are made in the image of God. That homeless person is glorious. And his life or her life is just as important as mine and yours. They are afforded dignity because of their humanity made in the image of God. And folks, at a time in, in the history of redemption when life was cheap. Pharaoh, you may remember, ordered the killing of all, at one point, of all the Hebrew baby boys. Killed them all. For 400 years, Pharaoh, upon Pharaoh, upon Pharaoh, the most exalted, most uncontested power in the world, for that span of human history, ground the slaves who were Hebrews into dust, into their grave, because they were not considered equal. They were considered tools to be used. And life was cheap. And at that time, when human life was cheap, Mount Sinai shook and smoked. And God said to His people, You, shall not murder. You shall not take a human life. Today, we still live in a world of violence. What a paradox that as our scientific knowledge grows, as our technological sophistication grows, as our ability to communicate grows, so grows the barbarism of mankind. So that in the, that the 20th century, that's the last one we can actually do the number, was by far the most lethal century of death in recorded history. I mean, I could go into the hundreds of millions of people destroyed in the 20th century for various reasons. There is violence in our streets. There is violence in our schools. There is violence in our homes. There is violence on our televisions, our computers, our game consoles, and now even in our pockets, on our cell phones. I looked this up yesterday. I hope you'll appreciate some statistics. Dr. Eugene Barrison, Director of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital and simultaneously the same position at McLean Hospital in an article that he wrote this year for the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry says, quote, Recent studies indicate that the average child in America will have witnessed more than 200,000 violent scenes on television by age 18. 200,000. According to Barrison, uh, even programming designed for children features up to 20 violent acts per hour. That's a lot of violence. 
When you now add the advent of the Internet and particularly video games, and I'm not trying to say that television or the Internet or all this is evil, but video games are well known for violent content and it is reported that 60% of the users of video games are children. I go on to quote, with computers, etc., consistently, conservatively, we estimate at around 500,000 exposures to scenes of violence by age 18. 500,000! I mean, you'd have to, like, work at that to get that done in your life. And yet, that is where we are. There's a lot of death in our culture. Add to that the fact, and these numbers are, are firm as well, that America has one of the highest murder rates of developed countries. Can you imagine that? Add to that, two million babies in the womb terminated per year. Look, we live in a world, a virtual and real world of mega death. And God values and rejoices in and celebrates life. Especially life in his own image. Human life. So much that when he wrote his top ten, number six was you shall not murder. You shall not take a human life. So why do I say? I mean, we get that, right? I mean, have you ever thought on television, man, it's kind of violent. You know? I mean, a lot of things are violent. Football's violent. So, you know, just it's observation. And I love football. Um, but so why do I say we are all murderers? Because you're saying I'm not a murderer. It'd be great if this really was simply about the, the murder, murderous acts of our hands, such as, and Cain rose up against his brother Abel and slew him and spilled his blood right there in a field. So that's not me. But unfortunately, Jesus helps us see in the Sermon on the Mount that it's a hard issue, this issue of murder, first and foremost. And we murder in our hearts as well as our hands. In fact, we murder in our hearts before we murder with our hands. It is what is in our hearts that is finally going to come out of our mouths in killing speech, says the book of James. Finally, what's going to come out in our actions, even murder. But it starts in our hearts. Jesus shows us this deeper meaning of the sixth commandment. We read in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder. Jesus is what? Quoting the sixth commandment, right? You all know the sixth commandment is what he's saying. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And that anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you that if anyone is angry with his brother, he will be subject to judgment. Now that really takes it to a new dimension, doesn't it? It all starts with the heart. 
You know, I said earlier that the Columbine killers, that they had systematically broken the Sixth Commandment for years and and particularly leading up to that, that horrific day with growing intensity and not just on that day. You know what they discovered when they when they looked into all these things, they discovered that, uh, that these boys had a growing sense of anger and hatred in their hearts. That these two boys were spending countless hours uh, involved in murderous video games to vent this anger, were literally desensitizing their own hearts to be able to kill... And we found out they were posting notes on the internet. We found out after the fact. Posting notes out in public saying who they hated, who they were going to kill, and whose life was not worthy to be spared. Columbine was just the bitter fruit of long-running un checked anger that turned to hatred that turned to murder and I got to tell you you and I are fundamentally not different than those two boys because it all started with the anger in their hearts Because we harbor anger, don't we? Because we hold little petty jealousies that turn into pet jealousies, that turn into rivalries, that turn into rage, that turn into retribution. Because we develop contempt in our hearts for certain people. And Jesus says, it all smells like murder. Because it is an emotional form of murder. Everybody here, myself included, we are all murderers. David Bisgrove describes an event that happened in Iowa in 1989 that just broke the heart of a small town in the the heartland of our country. There were two girls... One was named Sonia, and the other was named Cindy. Uh, They were both like two of the most popular people in their class. They were beautiful girls. They'd both been crowned queen, of you know, like a beauty queen. The issue had to do with the fact that they, they both had fallen for the same guy in their high school, and his name was Jim. And after graduation, Jim chose Sonia to be his girlfriend, and it set Cindy off. And the result of Cindy being set off just rocked that part of the world. And you're like, this stuff happens in Iowa? Yeah, there's a bunch of murderers in Iowa, just like at Highlands Presbyterian Church. An article from the largest newspaper in that area I'd like to quote from it, quote, it was bad enough to have lost Jim, but what really poisoned Cindy 
was the thought that her rival had walked off with the prize. Do you see it? That's the jealousy. That's the anger. That's the pettiness. So, Cindy, I'm continuing to read from the newspaper article. So, Cindy rose up and slew Sonia. One September night in Iowa, Miss Harvest Princess strangled Miss Homecoming Queen with a leather belt and left the whole community shaking with grief. Why? Because above all, I continue to read, Miss Harvest Princess was deeply jealous of her rival and wanted to keep her from having Jim. Because murder is always a matter of our heart before it's a matter of killing speech or actions that destroy. You ever struggle with envy? Does jealousy ever just eat at your soul? Have you ever been wronged? And are just now living on a form of hatred? Feeding it. Are those seeds growing in your heart? And we all know this stuff. There's not a person in here that hadn't been hurt. There's not a person in here that has not felt these type of emotions. Do you feel delight in the failure of certain people? Because you secretly compare yourself to them and want them to fail? Do you enjoy the feeling of superiority to certain other people and and ignore them or treat them with contempt just because of your own insecurities? Whole classes of people and you're just so glad they're there because it makes you feel better about you. As if their lives don't even count. There's a lot going on in these little hearts of ours. These little human hearts of ours. Jesus is saying to to me and to you, there's more than one way to kill somebody. There's more than one way to murder someone. And and so does John. Just let this one line of Scripture just just grab your heart. 1 John 3.15 Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That's strong, isn't it? Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And we all struggle in so many ways with this murder in our hearts because we all struggle with anger. And we struggle with anger because we all struggle with selfishness and pride. We all have the sense that that we think of ourselves as the center of our private universe. We're the sun and everybody else are the planets. And they rotate around us. And woe betide the person that gets out of their proper rotation. They must be punished, withdrawn from, attacked. To preserve our sense of superiority and control. And when we lose control, folks, and it can be really subtle, and some of the nicest, quietest people in this room are some of the worst haters. It's not just the loud people. It's an ugly thing. Dan Allender, in a book that many of us read back in the mid-90s, a great book, I would recommend it to you, called The Cry of the Soul. 
says anger demands for the self a more tolerable world now. Instead of waiting for God's redemption according to divine design and timing. You get that? Let me just kind of unpack that. I want it the way I want it now. I'm not going to wait on God. I'm not going to trust God. I'm not going to let God move events. I know that God is redemptive. I know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, etc. But I will control it. And anger is a big part of that control. I, I go on with Dan Allender. Anger attempts to control the choices of others, especially in regard to our attempt to possess what we believe is essential to our well-being. Anger, he says, says at its core, that people who don't fit in with my plan need to be out of my way or they need to be punished. We had some friends, Paul and Carol Thompson, who were missionaries. They'd, they'd left the United States for 20 years, and when Gina and I were young couple, uh, newlywed couple, uh, they led some conferences for newlywed couples and were very helpful. And uh, one of the things they said, I, I, I just will never forget it. They said, you know, we were gone for 20 years. Maybe we forgot what it was like here, or maybe culture changed over 20 years. And you know, culture's been changing pretty rapidly. You know what they said was the, I mean, people were still nice and all that. You, you know what they said was the biggest change that they noticed when they got back to their own native culture they said people were so, still nice people were all trying to work everything out but, said, but there was this underlying sense of rage in people it's not above the waterline it's not like fire but it's just you could just feel it smoldering and they said we got the distinct impression that most of the people we ran into inside the church and outside were just somehow underneath angry that they didn't have what they felt like they should have in their lives. I was blown away by that. And I thought, well, that explains a lot of my anger, doesn't it? Ouch. We are all murderers. And lastly, who need Christ? Aren't you glad that Jesus comes into the picture aren't you glad that god's grace is always the last word and not our sin and rebellion not our pride and and our anger or our murder you see the one who creates and celebrates life is the same one who said i have come that they might have life and have it to the full i want you to have this life with me and i want you to help others have this life with me Murderers, we read in several texts in the New Testament, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you're jealous, you're not going to heaven. If you're filled with rage and hatred, you're not going to heaven without Jesus. <laughs> Thank God. For God, for Jesus, murderers like us need Jesus, don't we? I do. 
Isn't it interesting how Jesus meets our need in relation to the sixth commandment? I mean, it just lines up so well because we are forgiven of murder in our hearts and rebelling against God because the Son of God was murdered. I mean, man, click right there. He was murdered so that murderers could go free. He took my sin. He took my murderous thoughts and and attitudes of my hearts before a holy God and paid the price so that murderers like us could go free and so that we might live in Him, in freedom, and for Him and desire not only to protect life, not only to preserve life, but desire also to reach out as representatives of the God of grace, as people who have received grace, to reach out and actually help and bless other people and care about the quality of their lives. Do you know that your life is just as important as mine? Because you're made in the image of God, just like me. That's the positive side of this commandment. I want to quote from the Heidelberg Catechism uh, question 107 asks this. These old guys just kind of said it better than, than I can. Very good economy of word, very picturesque. If the question is, is this all that is required in the Sixth Commandment, that we do not kill our neighbor? The answer is no. It's not all that's required. And it goes on to the positive. No, for in condemning envy, hatred, and anger... God requires us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Out of His grace to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and kindness toward them, and to prevent their hurt as much as possible, and to do good, you ready for this? Even to our enemies. Man, that just gets me every time. I mean, I don't, do, I don't do really well with people that kind of barely cross me. I get angry. Now, people who are just my utter enemies, Jesus says, no, no, six, you shall not murder. Love your enemies. Show and tell the gospel so that others can have real life in the gospel. I have an invitation to murderers this morning. Don't you want to run to Jesus? He died for that. Maybe you've never understood why Jesus was murdered. He died to to take a holy God and sinful man and bring them together through His sacrifice and taking of the penalty for our sin. Don't you, don't you want to come to Him? You can. Today. Now, let me give another invitation. And this is not an oxymoron. I would like to issue an invitation to you, and this includes me, to you born-again murderers. Yes, that's not an oxymoron. Born-again murderers. I mean, aren't you weary of maintaining murder in your heart? Folks, life's hard as it is. But to feed the fuel, to fuel resentment 
and hatred and murder is exhausting. Don't you want to repent, which just means turn from trying to control everything and trust in God? Don't you want to rest in the gospel of Jesus and to let go of trying to be okay? And make everything work the way you feel like it ought to work? Don't you want that experience of resting in His love again? Here's my invitation to you. Come to this table repenting and seeking forgiveness as you come. Commandment 6. You shall not murder. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us. And thank you. Thank you that you see us as we are. We can't dress it up, clean it up in front of you. And you did not withhold your son, your only son. But you sent him to be sacrificed, to be murdered so that we murderers could go free. If you've never put your trust in what Jesus has done, and you'd like to, you want to be free. You want to come into His family, receive forgiveness and peace with God. You pray with me, Lord, I I see it. I want to turn from everything I've called Christianity and religion. My sin. And I want to turn to You, Jesus, and put my trust for my salvation for a relationship with you and what you have done on the cross for me. Thank you that even now you have come into my life. Thank you that even now I have peace with you and you're the Prince of Peace. Oh, would you help me to have a a soft heart that trusts in you. A soft heart that rests in this grace in which I now stand. A repenting heart. And Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you and there are folks in this room right now that we can't see it on the outside, but they're just crippled with hatred. They're just crippled with anger and a a disappointment that has morphed into a murderous heart. And it's so cancerous as well as dangerous. Would you have the courage to pray, Lord, I don't know how you would just take all this away at one moment, but I want to ask your forgiveness. And and I want to move toward your love and grace and your forgiveness. And I need for you to help me walk away from the murder that has resided in my heart. Lord, would you set me free by the power of Jesus? And we pray, Lord, as we come to this table, that there would be a sweetness and a relief and a release that comes from knowing that your grace is always greater than our sin. We pray in Jesus' name.